Well, it's a joy to be here this morning. I appreciate this good group of young people being here, and I bless the Lord, and I, I echo what the preacher said. You ain't going to hear it no better than you just heard it. That was excellent preaching, and uh, I sure am thankful that he knows. Amen. And I bless the Lord. Brother Stanford, thank you for letting me be here. I'm honored to preach for Brother Dodson at the Aldridge this morning, last night with Brother Todd. And uh, man, I tell you, just to get to be a part of these kids' life, what a privilege that the Lord gives us. Brother Todd, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, my brother. I'm a little envious when I saw you go sit between your mom and dad. I didn't know it was your mom and dad until I saw, I guess, your mom spoke to you in your ear and and then when you went and sat between them, I thought, that's got to be his parents. I'd give a lot this morning. Just to sit between them one more time. I listened to GCR coming up the road yesterday about the end of prayer time. But Barton, they were, they were giving... They were giving, I guess, post messages that people called in and honoring their dad. Well, I just wept coming up the road. It's been just a little about two and a half years since my dad went to heaven. Mom went to heaven 13 days later. And, uh, boy, I tell you, youngins, you better enjoy them while you got them. Some of you don't think they know much right now. But, the, oh, I mean, my dad, as far as I know, never finished high school. He, my dad would be 89 this year if he'd lived. And uh, had to go home as a teenage boy. All his brothers, older brothers were in the war. My grandfather had a stroke. My dad had to go home and keep the farm up so his brave brother could finish school. I don't know if he ever finished school. And I've got a finance degree and a master's degree and a doctor's degree. I, I'm not saying that as a prideful thing. I'm about to make a point. But as I got older, with all them degrees, I wouldn't make a decision without calling my daddy. Never finished school. But I wouldn't make a call without calling my dad. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing for you just to get to see that, sit there as a a grown man, and and, uh, and I tell you, youngins, you're going to find out the older you get. You don't think they know a lot right now, but the older you get, the more you realize your parents really did know something. And uh, I tell you, I hope that I hope that tomorrow, one thing, Miss Kim, you'll remember when we were children, Brother Edgar, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, it happened every year, at the end of the service, he would say, now, all you kids, if it was Mother's Day, he'd say, you go tell, hug your mama and tell her you love her. And he'd wake, we had to do that at the end of service. That's what, and, man, I knew it was coming. And as a young man, I, I knew that I couldn't go do that without crying. But it used to embarrass me. And I'd go downstairs and get some water and uh, try to buy me some time so I could do it, not somebody, them other boys not see me cry. But I'd walk the pews this morning to put my arms around them and tell them how much I love them. And I hope tomorrow that you youngins 
and I'll challenge our dads tomorrow, but I challenge you kids today. I challenge our dads tomorrow to be, to be a man of God. I challenge you kids this morning to love your parents. Nobody else in the world has got your best interest at heart outside of your parents and your pastor. You ought to take some time and appreciate it tomorrow. And uh, that ain't necessarily what I came to preach, but I just thought that just touched my heart. And I just thought, man, I wish I could just one more time. Last time my mom was in church, I didn't know this. I didn't know that my mom had, had Alzheimer's for a decade. But Stacy, the last time mom came to church on Sunday night, I didn't know it was going to be her last time. Brother Martin and were singing, I firmly promise you. God the Holy Ghost told me to go back there to my parents and tell them. And I, my dad sat on the, my dad, and I'm, I'm crying, and anytime I'd cry, I could always look in the service and daddy, he'd stick his hand out in the, in the aisle. He'd just hold his handkerchief. He'd tell me I got something. And I'd preach myself to him. Get his handkerchief and preach myself back and uh, I got between them that night and I got down between them and I looked at him I said I just want you to know that I promise you I promise you that I want to meet you my dad had big hands and strong man my mom tender long and I said one more time I want you to pray for me and they put their hands on me and they, they prayed for me. And little did I know, that'd be the last time we were ever in church together. I'm glad I serve a God who knows. He knew that was going to be the last time. And he gave me that. He gave me that moment. And I hope you'll make some moments, kids. I hope you'll make some moments with your mom and dad. Miss Kim, for you and the kids getting to sing with your mom, what a, what a treasure, what a treasure, Amen. Well, Second Samuel chapter twenty-one, man. When you find your place, let's stand together. It's such an honor to be here, and I appreciate you being here. Let's stand, stretch your legs. I'll do my best not to labor you. This text has been on my heart the last little time, and. I believe it's be the Lord's will this morning. But Dawson, excellent preaching, son. And if anybody's outside of my mom and dad going to heaven has affected me in the last few years, Brother Davis going to heaven. He was my friend. He was my friend. If I ever knew a preacher that helped you take your Christianity and put it in shoe leather, Lace it up and live it. Brother Lee Davis was that man. Amen. And I tell you, getting to preach with him is a blessing. Because I remember preaching in Brother Lee Davis's youth meeting for a lot of years. And y'all come up there, you teenagers, and sing, touch of God. And seeing you keeping on is a real blessing to me. And I bless the Lord. Feel good in my soul this morning. Amen. I bless the Lord. The Bible said in verse 1, then there was a famine in the days of David. Three years, year 
after year. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered it, and answered, and it's for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. The king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them, and the zeal to the children of Israel and Judah, and his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore, David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? The Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither of, of us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What shall you say that I will do for you? They answered the king, The man that consumed us, and that devised against us that we should be that we should be destroyed from remaining in the coast of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord and Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Pay close attention to the next few verses. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered the birds of the air, suffered and, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest upon them by day nor the beast of the field by night. It was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bashan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish his father, and they performed all that the king commanded, and after that God was entreated for the land. You can be seated. I want to turn your attention back to verse number 10, verse number 11, where we'll get to in a moment. Where the Bible said in Rizpah, the daughter of Ai took the sackcloth, spread it before for her upon the rock, and beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven. And suffered neither the birds of the air to rest upon them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, 
had done. Now, if you'll give me just a minute, it's going to take me just a moment to lay a little bit of a groundwork, and then the Lord will help me. I want to get in the thought. But as you look in verse number one, the Bible tells us that there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David began to inquire of the Lord as to why this judgment was now upon the nation of Israel. And what he found that it was because of Saul and his disobedience uh, to the things of the Lord. And may I say God informed him that David, that that judgment that they were experiencing this current time and this present moment was a result of some past disobedience in uh, the life of Saul. This covenant what takes us back uh, in the first Samuel chapter number 9 when uh, Joshua and uh, the armies of Israel were marching through Canaan. They had taken Ai, they had taken Jericho, and the cities were falling before the nation of Israel. And what these Gibeonites did, they realized the only way that they were going to survive God's people taken into their possession, the promises of God, where they were going to have to make a league with the nation of Israel. So what they did, and listen, the Lord had told them to destroy all the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and he told them, to destroy them all and to possess the promise that God gave them. So the Gibeonites realized the only way they were going to be able to survive of the mighty the mighty pan and power of God was they were going to have to make a league with the nation of Israel. So they pretended to be from a long way away and they feigned themselves to be something they were not. And they came and they made an agreement. They made a covenant. They had an oath between Joshua and the nation of Israel. They said, Man, uh, we want to be your servants. We want to dwell in the coast. Uh, and uh, Joshua didn't seek the will of God. And Joshua didn't seek uh, uh, the counsel of the Lord. Uh, and he made an unadvised covenant with these Gibeonites. Uh, and it was not until after they had made that covenant uh, until they realized that they were not from a far country, uh, but they were their neighbors right there in Canaan land. Uh, and the fact of the matter was that uh, the Gibeonites were from right there. And even though this was an ill-advised covenant, even though this was an alliance that God had told them not to make, and even though this covenant was made by deceptive means and by deceptive motives and by deceptive methods, it was a permanent and it was a binding covenant between the Gibeonites and the nation of Israel. And may I say to you, Saul had no business. He had no business disregarding of the covenants of God. Again, I say to you, if God has said it in his word, you and I have no business, friend, choosing what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, disregarding the covenants and the commandments of God. And can I say to you, we're going to get in trouble if we do that. But then it brings us to this place about this little lady by the name of Rizpah. And the Lord will help me for just a few minutes. I want to preach on this thought for the children's sake. For the children's sake. Notice your Bible in verse number 8. The Bible said the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Angel, the son of Brasilia, Brasilia, Brasilia the Maholite. I want you to notice, brother, Brother, Brother Dodson is already, I want you to notice the sorrow this lady felt. 
What Saul had done could not be overlooked. What Saul had done could not be just disregarded. And an entire nation was being judged because of one man's disobedience. And now the, the, uh, the, the, the judgment of breaking this covenant where seven men were about to have to give their life for something they didn't do. But something their dad did. But I want you to notice in this sorrow she felt. I want you to notice verse number seven. There's a graceful picture in this selection. You, I mean, I can, can you imagine? I've been in death rooms where the doctors have walked in after an accident or after, uh, after a heart attack or after uh, some, uh, uh, some urgent uh, uh, medical situation. I've sat in a room uh, with husbands and wives and children and I've watched the doctors walk in those doors as we sat there and I've watched them bow their head and I've watched them communicate to that family. I've got some bad news. I'm sorry to tell you uh, that your loved one passed away we did everything we could to save them, but we couldn't save them. And can you imagine when Rizpah hears the news that her sons were about to be delivered to the Gibeonites and that they were about to give their life? You say, did she beg for their lives? Did she lay at their feet? I can't imagine. I could, If somebody knocked on my door and at the other side of that door I opened it, they said, Preacher, I need your two sons because of something that's happened in our county. Your sons are going to have to give their life uh, for this offense. Uh, I can about just see myself crumple uh, and go to uh, uh, my knees because the grief would be so heavy uh, and we're not privy to what Rizpah did uh, when she heard the news. Uh, we don't know how she responded. Uh, we don't know what she did uh, but I cannot believe that it was in a way uh, that her heart just absolutely uh, felt like somebody had stuck their hand in her chest and ripped her heart out and you say preacher where's the grace in that well look at verse number 7 of the Bible said but the king spared Mephibosheth the son of Jonathan the son of Saul because of the Lord's oath that was between them and between David and Jonathan the son of Saul can I tell you thank God friend oh we're under a death sentence the innocent had to die for the guilty and I want to say blessed be God uh, this morning you can get uh, in a place that you're safe. Uh, I mean man, back in 1 Samuel 9 uh, there was a covenant made uh, long before this situation uh, long before this difficulty. Uh, uh, Jonathan and David made a covenant together uh, and the Bible said that Jonathan loved David uh, as his own soul uh, and can I tell you listen uh, Mephibosheth got spared uh, not because of anything Mephibosheth did not because Mephibosheth was a strong warrior he was a cripple he couldn't even do anything physically because he was a cripple but long before this ever happened there was a covenant made I want to say happy day happy day when I listen I'm not going to heaven because of what I've done I'm not going to heaven because I'm good or because I'm 
worthy of a 2,000 years ago. There was an agreement between God the Father and God the Son and there was a covenant made, friend, and because of that covenant, you and I can be spared from the judgment and the wrath of God and even in this judgment, this wrath of this difficult picture of Mephibosheth escaped and I'm saying so can you. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that covenant? If you go back and say that first signal nine, the first thing, see, that word covenant means cutting. How, how many of you like westerns? I love westerns. You say, why? Because the good guy wins, the bad guy's dead, and the good guy gets a pretty girl and rides off in the sunset. Amen. And if it, if it don't end like that, it ain't a western. It's contemporary. Amen. Amen. But you know what the, what the cowboys and the Indians would do? What, what kind of brothers did they become in, them, in, those, in those, what kind? Blood brothers. You know, where, you know where that is? You know what that is? That is a blood covenant. There was a covenant, a blood covenant made. You go back in that first Samuel 9, the first thing that Jonathan and David did, they exchanged coats. Come help me, brother. Come help me, brother. Piercy. Jonathan took his kingly robe off. And he gave his, he gave his robe to David. And David took Jonathan's robe and put it on there. I'm telling you this morning, you may not come from the right side of the tracks. Your mom and dad, praise God, I finally put a coat on that's bigger than mine. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And he kept praise. I don't ever see that, man. I put my coat on other people. It looks like a dress, praise God. I mean, listen. I mean, you, you, you may not have money in the bank. You may not be living in a mansion. You may not have all the goods of this world. Oh, but can I tell you, if you ever get in Christ, oh, what that was a picture of. Oh, Jonathan saying, what I possess, it's now yours, David. And David, what you possess, it's mine. I want to thank God as a 13-year-old boy. Oh, thank God of the reason I'm going to heaven. It's not because of my righteousness. Uh, because I'm clothed uh, in the imputed righteousness uh, of the Son of God. I'm an heir and a joint heir uh, with the Son of God. He said, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. He gave me his righteousness. He gave me his grace. He gave me his forgiveness. I gave him my guilt and my shame and my sin, and the reason I can escape the death is because he took what I had and gave me what the next thing that we would have done Jonathan would have taken his sword and gave it to David and they would have exchanged weapons and he said not only are my possessions yours but my power is yours uh, glory to God. You know how you get up, preach, the way you just preach? Not because, and you're a talented man. Play, sing, preach. 
but because somewhere down the road, God put his, not your daddy, not your heroes, but God put his power in your life. Instead of you going to do it, you're going to have to have what I have, power, praise God. And aren't you glad for the day when you got born again? He took all that you were just telling about and gave you his peace, gave you his grace, gave you his long suffering, and then he gave you the power to do what you do, sing and preach and testify and do mission work and all that. He said, hey, you can't get it done, but I'm about to give you the power to do it. Can I tell you today, you may be here lost as a ball in high weeds. If you're waiting for the day you're good enough, you'll never be good enough. It never has, listen, your salvation uh, never has been an issue of you being good uh, or you being worthy. Uh, It's because he's worthy, he's good, and he's powerful. And the Bible said the Lord is good and ready to forgive. I thank God for that covenant that spared Mephibosheth. The last thing they would have done, they would have taken a knife and cut their wrist. And I would have taken a knife and cut my wrist. And we would have taken our hands and clasped our hands together. And they tell me as I read that those incisions would have made a cross. And they would have, they would have mixed their blood. And they became blood brothers. That's where them Western folks get that. And he didn't say my possessions are yours. And he didn't say my power is yours. He said, but my person is yours. Glory to God. And the reason when I got saved that I'll always be saved is because God cannot deny himself. Hey, the Bible said that Christ liveth in us. Glory to God, friend. Oh, aren't you glad that you and I don't have to die and go to hell? You and I don't have to die for our sin. You and I, listen, friend, we're not qualified. We're marked up. We're sinful creatures. But the innocent died for the guilty. And neighbor, thank God you can escape that judgment that Rizpah's boys did. You know what they'd do, Brother Stacy? They would take that, they would take the ashes off the sacrifice that was made during that covenant time, and they would pack it in that incision. And that what it would do, Brother Alder, it would scar, that ash would cause it to scar. And every time they'd look at their arm, every time they'd look at that scar. They would remember a covenant that was made. Now, here's the kicker, youngins. Mephibosheth didn't make the covenant. He was a cripple boy. He didn't make the covenant. David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's daddy, made the covenant. Can I tell you, uh, listen, Mephibosheth was a beneficiary of something he didn't do, a promise he didn't make, a covenant he didn't do, uh, but he was the one that benefited. Uh, I'm telling you, I didn't do anything for my salvation, uh, but 2,000 years ago, uh, God caught the lights off at Calvary uh, because there was a transaction. Uh, listen, uh, listen, he turned the lights off uh, because it wasn't for man to see. Uh, that was a transaction between God the Father and God the Son and praise God Brother Todd you and I can Brother Pearson can travel the country and tell them listen you can get in not because of what you did but because we are the beneficiaries of what the Lord did 
Thank you, Brother Pierce. See, there's grace even in that judgment. But then, in that text, there's grievous pain in the sentence. Regard these seven men. They didn't kill the Gibeonites. They didn't attack the Gibeonites. Saul did. The law had been disregarded and defiled and disobeyed. You say, well, I didn't do that. No. How many of you have told a lie? Let me see your hand. Go ahead and raise it up. If you ain't raising it now, you're a liar now, and we'll pray in a minute. See, if you broke one part of the law, you're guilty of it all. Are you listening to me? One of the bi- I mean, a whole nation was raveled. Families were crushed. They were separated because of the sin of one. Well, the biggest lies the enemy will ever tell you is that, is that your sin and your decisions will affect no one else. There's always a ripple effect in the sin. It defiles, it disgraces, it disrupts, it destroys. And that's what he's been saying for a long time. These boys couldn't escape. Number two, I want you to notice quickly. I want you to notice the strength she found. And I want to say to you youth directors and pastors and parents here, well, we ought to find ourselves in these verses. I want you to notice the strength she found. Look at verse 10. And risk for the daughter of Ai took sackcloth, spread it upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven, suffered neither the birds or the air to rest upon them by day, and nor the beasts of the field by night. I want you to notice the love that motivated her. Here's the kicker. Brother Philip Rispa to this place has not been a key player in the Bible narrative. And she's not even going to be a key player in the Bible narrative after this text. But in this moment, for this job, for this responsibility, for these times, Rizpah was the main character, friend. And Rizpah made a decision. She was not going to leave the bodies of her boys on that hill alone. And she got some sackcloth, a picture of repentance, and spread it on that rock. And that was going to be her home on that rocky mountainside until the rains fell. And can I tell you, Rizpah's sons might have been dead Uh, But but listen, that mother's love was alive and well. Uh, And can I tell you, man of God, uh, uh, Lord, help us at the love. The Bible said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, We ought to be moved by the love of God uh, and the love of our church and the love of these children uh, uh, to do what Rizpah did in our children's life uh, and our church family's life uh, and our friend's life. Uh, We ought to be motivated by the love of God to keep the beast away from the ones we love. The love that motivated her, number two, look at your Bible. What about the labor that marked her? We've got a, a mother 60, 70 years old. Most likely 60 or 70 years old. She's, she is determined to not allow the bodies of her dead boys to be desecrated by the wild beast. I want you to notice your Bible. What it said, from the beginning of harvest until water dropped on them out of heaven. The barley harvest started in May and went from May until September. She didn't do this for a day. She didn't do this for an hour. She didn't do it for a week. She didn't do it for a month. 
But May, June, July, August, and in September was when the rains would come. And listen, had it not been for Rizpah, the bodies of these boys would have been left hanging there until the vultures picked them clean and the beasts tore them down during the, I mean, during the heat of the day. Uh, she would fight the vultures. Uh, and during the cold of the night, she would uh, ward off the packs of wild dogs and coyotes and hyenas and all, the, uh, and all of what's going on. Uh, can I tell you mom and dad uh, a preacher evangelist uh, can I tell you that's what we're doing uh, we're doing our best uh, to ward off the beast of these children's life uh, to fight the vultures off by day uh, and to fight the dogs off by night uh, God help us in this hour uh, not to succumb uh, to this group that says uh, it's alright to let them live like the world it's alright to let them act like they're still lost I want to thank God I had some people in my life uh, that by day they battle the vultures uh, and by day by night they battle the dogs uh, and they kept the beast uh, away from my life, friend. Uh, Can you imagine what that must have been like? I I, I would say, Brother Piercy, that the only moment of rest she would have would have been about right at sunset and right at sunrise. And can you imagine, Brother Dotson, in the heat of the day, she's out there swinging a stick, beating the vultures off. And I mean, neighbor, I, I, I know some of y'all boys don't even know how to cr- crank a weed eater, but, but I, I remember my daddy when I was a boy we didn't have a weed eater for our bank. We had a sling blade. Are you hearing me? No, no I mean, it didn't go. You, you swung it with your arms and cut the weeds down. And I couldn't swing it good. And when you hit them rocks in that bank, you feel like your arms are coming out of your sockets. And I mean, I was a young man. And it didn't take but about 15 minutes till my arms were ready to fall off my shoulders. And can you imagine what it must have been for a 60 or 70-year-old mama? You know what he was doing just a minute ago? You know what he was doing? You know what Brother McKeon was doing last night when he was preaching? It's amazing you preaching on that miracle of the bread. He preached that last night, preached on fire out of that thing. You know what he was doing? He's beating the vultures off our life. He's beating the vultures off your life. Amen. You know what Brother Stacy was doing a minute ago when Miss Kim was playing? He was testifying. He's swinging that stick. He's swinging that stick. And can you imagine after about seven, eight hours of hot daylight in that desert sun? I mean, you, can you imagine what it must have felt like? And all of a sudden the sun begins to set and the birds go to their nest or the roost. And she's like, and she sits down for a minute and builds a fire. And all of a sudden, in just a little while, she hears the howl in the distance. And she knows her rest is about done. And boy, that howl just gets closer and closer until she sticks a stick in the fire. And she swings that stick with that fire all night long 
to keep the coyotes and the dogs. I mean, can you imagine after seven or eight hours fighting the vultures, now she's fighting the dogs. You say, why? Why do preachers preach just the way you do? Why does Brother Aldridge take us like he does? He's doing his best to fight the vultures by day. And he's doing his best to fight the dogs by night. Oh, friend, can you imagine uh, the difficulty and the pain of what it must have been to keep those animals off their life? You say, why'd she do it? Not for her sake, but for the children's sake. Can you imagine the stench of those bodies? It must have been horrific. But can you imagine the sight of that mother? That must have been heroic. I mean, good night, neighbor. I mean, think about it. Oh, my. One of y'all one of these days are going to look it back. And you're going to look back and say, man, why did Brother Aldridge preach to us the way he did? And why did Brother Piercy preach to us or Brother McKee had? And Brother Dotson and Brother Kike and these men. Why did they preach to us the way they did? And you're going to look around and there's not going to be any teeth marks on your flesh. There's not going to be any claw marks they ain't going to be nowhere of birds. Pick your flesh off your, pick the beak of his flesh off your face and off your skin. And you're going to think, thank God. Thank God that they told me the truth when it was difficult. Thank God they stayed with it. Thank God they loved me enough to keep me clean from this world. Oh, my. More or less, she said this, Brother Stacy. I'll die before I let these predators have my sons. My oldest got married a week ago, two weeks ago. And I've said all their life, we know our children are targets. And I've said all my life, but Philip, the devil may get my children. I understand that. But I've said he's going to know he's been in a fight when he does. I mean, I'm going to hit him as long as I got strength and kick him when I can't swing my fist. And when I can't kick him, I'm going to gnaw on him with my teeth. And when I can't gnaw on him with my teeth, I'm going to gum him as long as I can gum him. And I don't only feel like that about our children, my sons, but I feel like that about our kids in our church. I feel like that about the kids that I'm preaching to. Number three, and I'm done. Miss Kim, would you come back? I'm about done. The strength that she found, the sorrow that she felt. But look at verse 11. I want you to notice the service that was favored. Notice the Bible. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. Somebody came by that rock and saw that mama battling those beasts off. Are you listening to me? She saw them swinging a stick to beat the vultures off. They come by during the night, and from a distance they can see that fire swinging. And they went and told the king, Can I say, Mama, Daddy, Pastor, Evangelist, Youth Pastor? 
Everybody else may not know what you're doing. But Brother Dotson, the king knows. And it don't much matter if everybody else knows because they don't have the ability, they don't have the resources, they don't have the authority, and they don't have the power to do anything about it. But praise God in heaven when you realize that the king knows. The king has got authority. The king has got resource. The king has got power. The king has got servants to do his bidding, friend. Let me tell you, mama, he sees your bravery. A preacher, he sees your burden. A daddy, he sees the barriers that you face trying to keep the beast off your children. And I believe with all my heart, it was Rizpah's love that compelled the sovereign. David said, man, if she loves him boys like that, I believe I'm going to do something to help her. But you can look in verse 10 through 14. There's a legacy that challenges the same. Brother, Brother Todd, this is the convicting part to me. She wasn't out there fighting the beast off of two living sons. She used this kind of commitment to protect the bodies of two departed sons. And if she was willing to do that for two dead boys, how much more should you and I how much more? You know why? You know one of the great reasons that God lets you be where you are now? Because you had a daddy mom. They'd see the vultures coming and say, not mine. They'd see the dogs coming at night and they'd light that fire on that stick and keep them off of you. I'll be honest with you, but I believe with all my heart, I'm living in some blessings of God that have nothing to do with any prayer I ever prayed. But I believe God is breaking the tops off some prayers that have been prayed for me a long time ago. And said, I believe I'll answer this and it'll help him. And if he, Brother Philip, if, if he would do that for two dead children, how much more should we do it for our living children? I remember reading of a young man. His name was W.P. Mackey. W.P. Mackey was getting ready to go to college and his mama was a godly lady. And she really didn't want him to go to school because she was afraid that the world would sink their teeth into him and he'd go down the wrong path. So when W.P. Mackey got ready to leave for college, his mother took a Bible, wrote his name in it, her name in it, and a verse of the Word of God. W.P. Mackey went on to school, graduated from college, went on to medical school. And while he was there, he began to travel with the run with the wrong crowd. And one night in a drunken stupor, W.P. Mackey pawned the Bible that his mother gave him for another bottle of liquor. That young doctor 
W.P. Mackey became a very successful doctor, becoming the head doctor in a, in a hospital in Edinburgh, Scotland. He was an infidel of the worst degree. Matter of fact, he was even elected the president of an infidel society in that city. One day they brought an accident victim into that hospital and they called for the services of Dr. W.P. Mackey. It became evident that they weren't going to be able to save that boy and they told that young man and told the doctor, told him that he wasn't going to live and that doc, he looked at W.P. Mackey and said, could you do me a favor? He said, if I'm not going to make it, he said, could you send somebody to the, from the hospital to my, my home and ask my landlord to get, the book that's in my, to get the book that's in my home? And they did and brought it back and W.P. Mackey went on about his business seeing other patients and he came back after the young man had died. W.P. Mackey looked at the nurse and said, where, where is that book that was so important to that young man? She said, preacher, or she said, doctor, it's, it's right beneath his dead hand over there. She said, what was that book? Let me see that book. The nurse took the Bible out of that accident victim's dead hand, handed it to W.P. Mackey. And W.P. Mackey picked that book up and, and saw that it was a copy of the Word of God. That young man wanted his Bible when he was going to die. Brother Dobson, they said W.P. Mackey began to thumb that Bible and he flipped the cover open. And when he flipped the cover open, there was his name, his mother's name, and the verse that his dead mother had wrote many years ago when she le he left for college. They said W.P. Mackey grabbed that Bible, ran to his office as the lead doctor of that hospital began to weep and cry and they said he crumpled into the floor of his office repented of his sin and got born again and he wrote such words as 370 at the bottom of the page in your church hymnal that made this statement he said hallelujah thine the glory hallelujah amen Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. You say, how in the world could that happen? Because there was a little mother. And I don't know, maybe in heaven she said, you remember them prayers I prayed for that boy? You think you might answer one? And he got born again. I say, men, mamas, daddies, grandparents, I think they're worth it. I think they're worth it. Should we, should we not do it for the children's sake? Should we not fight them off? If she can do it for a dead son, how much more? Get him down, Daddy, because you're going to blink and what's going to seem like a few weeks and months, you'll be watching him take the hand of his bride. Or if it's a little girl, 
you'll watch them take the hand of a husband. And Brother Todd, we realize, and Brother Philip, you know, we realize that window that God gave them to us. They'll always be our children, but it'll never be the same. And I don't, I don't regret one time that I got them in an altar and wept over them. You said, preacher, that'll embarrass my children. It won't hurt them. It won't hurt them. Mama, sometimes when he's taking a nap, just walk in there in his room, put your hand in his little crib, and say, Lord, help me to battle the beast that would ruin his life. Do it for the children's sake. We're standing.